Uh, today we very much remember that um, all glory uh, be pointed back to Christ. And that regardless of our imperfections, regardless of our failures, uh, we have an all-powerful, perfect, beautiful God who is perfectly able to make us righteous in Jesus. Not because of what we've done, uh, but because of what he has done and who he is. So let's go through the um, points here and we'll, we'll start with freedom. Uh, freedom is often used in the terms when we're looking at the Bible. We look at it from our own point of view. We look at freedom in Christ and we understand that if you believe in Jesus, you are free. Um, but in order to uh, have that freedom, someone has to give it to us. In order for someone to give it to us, they must have it themselves. And so we worship a God who is freedom in himself. He is freedom. And for us, we, we plan and, and we plan things and we should plan things. Uh, God tells us to plan things, not to rush ahead. Uh, but we should never think that our ability to plan, our ability uh, to plan, is it makes it that we're in full control of everything that happens around us. Uh, we are encouraged to plan, but we need to be careful that what we're not doing is try to make sure that what we're not doing is trying to, to make everything happen in exactly the way we want it to happen. Uh, so it's okay to plan, but to be open to the Spirit. What is God going to do with our steps? What is God going to do with those plans that we make? And so every plan we, we make should be held in humility before God and in surrender to his uh, ultimate will. Uh, Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, uh, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. As God is the one true God, no other being is in control of him. No other being is uh, over him. No other being has been created to create God. God is the non-created, always present, ever-present God. Uh, he's completely free to do whatever he wants to do. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. For beings that want control in our lives, uh, I think we need to understand that not everything is in our control. Uh, wherever people are believers in Christ or not, I think everyone can agree uh, that we cannot completely control our lives. Uh, but that does not make everything random and coincidental. Uh, there's no such thing as uh, just a random set of events. Things happen, but there's a reason why everything happens. Uh, whether that is that God carries it out himself or he allows it to happen. But believing in the very God who is free uh, does not give you more control. doesn't mean that because you believe in God, it gives you more control over your life. In fact, uh, I would say that if when I became a believer in Jesus, one of the things... Uh, that struck me was just how much control I did not have uh, over my life. Uh, in fact, how much control I didn't even have over my own self, as it were. Just understanding what God calls us, describes us as, uh, is, is that we're wretched, that we're people that can't offer him anything that would, that would glorify him or, or even be impressive to him. And so the, there's this sense that if we look into the Bible and understand that he does whatever he wants, that he's totally free, um, Actually, in fact, there's a sense of less control in our lives, but that's why we put faith in God. That's why we uh, understand him. When we put our faith in him, in a smaller but still significant way, we should have this attitude that Jesus has. Luke 22, verse 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus himself even says to his own will, in, in fact, on his, as, his, as a human, says, uh, my will is not the one that's going to override God's will, my Father's will. My Father's will is that I will go to the cross and die, and I will raise again in three days and, and be glorified as God. Um, Jesus gave himself up, even Jesus gave himself up to the will of the Father. And this is uh, where we need to be when we come to freedom, understanding God's freedom uh, when we believe in him. If we want to be more Christ-like, then part of that must be aligning our sense of freedom with his. Realising true freedom, as that found in Jesus, is one of submission uh, and letting God do his work in us. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 31 to 34 says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Uh, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and it most certainly does, doesn't it? Uh, Realising that God is not hindered by anything and is not under any other authority should help us value even more a God that sent his son to die on the cross for undeserving people. God is under no imperative of any person or other God to have done that. Yet this is what he does. Romans 8, this is the uh, Berean study Bible version. And it says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn us? For Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. It's therefore only God that could have done this. It's only God that could have, in his own free will, sent his son to die on a cross. It is only God who has decided to do that on his own volition. And he's done it under his own free will and power. And so then that does nicely connect with how he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And I think this is a good point to talk about God's power in regard to his provision of salvation and his victory over the devil. I think sometimes we, we picture salvation as some sort of battle between good and evil. And on a basic level, it, it is. There is good and there is evil. But I think we sometimes might accidentally treat this battle as some hard, difficult, almost equal battle between good and evil. And I want to tell you that God has not and will not struggle to defeat the enemy. Uh, this is not a movie, this is not a film, it's not a TV show uh, in where you always get the same pattern occurring. What they do is they show you the good have to almost die first, almost be defeated, and then comes back with some amazing last bit of strength to overcome the evil. This is not how it works in the realms of God. Uh, God is always in control. God is never half defeated. God is never just about on the ropes. Uh, God is always fully in power. Uh, Satan, the devil, and the enemy have no power over God whatsoever. And so when we view the battle between good and evil, 
Uh, I know we, as people we like to get into the politics of things and we want we want things to be right here on earth and we try and align some of the, the politics and the laws with what we see, uh, uh, what Jesus wants us to do. But Jesus does not struggle uh, to win over, uh, to win the fight. Jesus has already won the victory. He has won the battle. He will not struggle and has not struggled to defeat evil. Jesus walked in the wilderness, we read in the Bible, as an example, and he allowed the devil some leeway. Uh, it wasn't that Jesus came and he was kind of uh, caught off guard by what the devil was doing. Jesus, God, allowed the devil to tempt him, to do that to him, to say things to him that would tempt him or potentially want to tempt him. Um, and he gave him some leeway to do that. Uh, not only did Jesus always have a response, though, to everything that the devil threw at him, uh, every attempt to tempt him, but there's this last section here, as we read in the wilderness, that I want to read, that just as he leaves uh, the wilderness, here's what happens. Matthew 4, 10 to 11. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. The part that is particularly important uh, here is Jesus saying, away from me, Satan, and then the devil left him. Uh, Jesus literally just spoke some words, words of power that only he can speak to the devil. And those words made Satan leave. Satan didn't sort of struggle and then like, oh, I can overcome these words. Uh, Jesus spoke them and then the devil had to obey. The devil could not go up against Jesus once Jesus said, that's it, that's enough, no more. It's finished here, we're done here, so you can go away now. And then Satan had to go away, Satan had to leave. So it's not hard for God to do away with Satan. And when he commands it, and when he commands it, it makes it so. And this fight is not an equal fight. We have to be clear, it's not an equal fight, and that's a good thing. It's not an equal fight between good and evil because God is all-powerful. If God is all-powerful, then no one else can be all-powerful also. It means Satan is not all-powerful. It means Satan is defeated by God because he is all-powerful and is ruled by no one. For us, however, we should not underestimate uh, the devil's power to tempt us. The Bible tells us here in James uh, 4 verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're called to resist the schemes uh, and temptation of the devil. But nowhere in the Bible are we told we can defeat him ourselves. We should not personally defy the devil. We need to respect his power and should neither underestimate or overestimate him. In fact, whenever the defeat of the devil is spoken about, it is always in reference to God being greater in power to defeat him and defeat him easily. Romans 16 verse 20 says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet, or under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. To overestimate his power, to overestimate the devil's power, is to believe that we're capable of defeating the devil simply by repeating some words from the Bible with more and more passion and zeal. Uh, just because we say the words doesn't mean that that's going to have any effect unless it's all about Jesus. And Jesus is the one who is making that happen. 
if it's under our own effort, uh, it's likely that that won't have any effect at all to the devil's schemes. In fact, it, it, we see an act that it almost invites the devil uh, to attack us when we believe that we and ourselves are capable of defeating him by saying a few words uh, that sound impressive to everyone else. But accepting the grace of our Lord Jesus is accepting the freedom and power that is fully competent and enabling. Uh, Psalm 55 verse 22 Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. To truly see that God is powerful we need to relinquish this falsehood of control. We need to let go of this falsehood of control. Now that doesn't mean that we don't plan. doesn't mean that you don't take control of your life and in situations or in our decisions. doesn't mean that you don't do that. We, of course we still plan and do, and do so wisely. But this control does not, and we need to be careful that this control does not consume us and lead us to think that we have all the answers. I believe it to be right that we do take action and responsibility for those actions. But at no point should we be under any illusion that our control of, our, our control of things is equal. I'm running out of power everywhere here, tell you. Okay. I think this might go soon as well. Where was I? Yeah. In the control we exercise rightly in our lives, uh, it should always be a reflection of God's infinite power over everything. So God has given us some limited power uh, that we're able to live under Jesus, able to sustain because of him under attack uh, and under temptation and schemes of the devil. Um, but it should always be a reflection of God's infinite power over everything, always having in view that God in his grace has given us limited power to reflect his unlimited power and glory. So when we say, uh, not when Jesus says, not my will, but yours, this is something that we are doing also. We're saying, not my will, Lord, but your will. Uh, not my power, your power. I'm going to lose power. Uh, can you do me a favour, Dan? Can you get the batteries from the back, please? <laughs> Give me one second whilst I sort this microphone out. It's done.
It's always weird. I talk about the devil and all these little things start happening. It's so weird. I'm telling you, it's not coincidence. It happens all the time. Whenever I talk about the devil, something goes wrong. Something doesn't work quite right. And especially it's because the sound uh, that no one can hear me online. Um, and it, yeah, he does. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Anyway. So. What we're always doing here is, is always giving back to God and saying, Lord, it's all about your power. You're able to do fully what is what is possible. I'm here to reflect your glory. I'm here merely to say that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is who he says he is. You are an all-powerful God who I'm just reflecting uh, through my, my work here on earth in terms of being a servant to you. And so that's what we should do when we're looking at certainly uh, the power of God and how he is all-powerful and all-capable. We are not but we rely on him trust on him uh, to deliver uh, us from evil and so let's look at the next section perfect uh, god is perfect in everything he is and does god is perfect in every single way psalm 18 verse 30 says as for god his way is perfect the lord's word is flawless he shields all who take refuge in him God has demonstrated that he is perfect by his own word that proved itself to be true. God said and willed what would be done and it was done. And so in his perfection, we're told that so dependable is this perfect perfection of God that never wavers, that we can trust in him by taking refuge in him, putting our faith and trust in him. Uh, it is only God who is perfect, the God of the Bible, who is absolutely perfect. So for the subject of perfection, I want to alleviate a burden uh, of perfectionism on us. I want to alleviate a burden that doesn't exist and is, is often uh, uh, spoken about, which is not true. Uh, it's a falsehood uh, of, of what Jesus says. So people take words of what Jesus said. And they say, well, that must mean that, and therefore I must have to be perfect. Uh, there is a sense of we have to, we want to be holy. This is true, and actually it's one of the, the translations of what I'm going to read to you. Uh, but actually perfect in terms of your perfect actions is not possible. You cannot be perfect every day. You cannot be perfect. And, and the, the key to this point, and it's really important, is if we suddenly say that I am able to be perfect... In this life, what's the point of Jesus? If I'm able to do this, and, and there's a point I reach this perfection now, not when I see God, but before that, then I have to ask the question, what's the point of Jesus? Jesus is no longer needed if I can reach perfection today. And so I want to just alleviate a burden because it causes lots of people to even walk away from the faith when the expectation is you must be perfect in your act when jesus preached the sermon on the mount he told this he said this to people matthew 5 48 be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect and there are a few things that are going on here that needs to be uh, explained jesus says this before he goes to the cross uh, when he said this he hadn't yet gone to the cross uh, the basic the basic thing here that we must understand, even before we get into why he said this statement, 
is that Jesus says this before he goes to the cross and dies for the very law that he's talking about here. Before he died, before he rose again, he said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father was perfect. Now, Jesus, I'm going to say something that might shock you, is really clever. God is insanely clever. Maybe insane is not the right word. He's incredibly clever. When he did this Sermon on the Mount, he said he made so many statements about what we should do. He said, even if you look at someone, even if you look at someone, you've, you, you've, you've, had a, you've got adultery in your heart. Even, even if you look at them and not have to do actual adultery, you've already cheated in your heart. And the thing is, if you don't see these, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, as something that actually is God is preparing their, their people's hearts for, when he says the only way you're going to overcome this is not by trying to complete the law yourselves, because you're not going to do that, but the only way you're going to do it is if you believe in me who's come to die for the sin that I'm talking about on this sermon. The very thing that I've come to do to tell you about is you can't do it. And so he says in all these things, that, the statements that he makes in the Sermon on the Mount, Actually, he's kind of making this point that's saying, you're not going to be able to do this. You see, even if you don't openly practice something, you're going to think it. And even when you think it, you've actually done it. There's no way around that. There's no way to stop that from happening. But Jesus did this so that when he went to the cross, people would understand he's come to fulfill that law. He's come to make that okay, to sin to go away, to be paid for, so that when we sin, we go, but it's got to be about Jesus, and Jesus, forgive me for having those thoughts. Forgive me for having and doing those things. And Jesus, only under him will we be forgiven, not for ourselves and our own effort. And so that's the first thing that's going on here. And so in Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus then fulfilled that requirement of being perfect. He is only only he is able to be perfect. Seeing this as perfectionism in our Christian world is a dangerous path to take. Jesus is not saying that we can be perfect in ourselves, as that's impossible. Instead, we are called to be like him who is perfect. If you profess Jesus Christ as saviour, you desire that his perfection is glorified to others, so they know, as we do, that they could be free of a burden of salvation of works. See, he came and he told uh, the Pharisees, he said to them, you're trying to live up to this law, but you're, you're doing it in a false way. You're, you're pretending that you're doing it. It isn't glorifying God at all, actually. You're just trying to make yourselves look good. But Jesus said, only I can do that. Only I can actually fulfill the law. Only I can do it perfectly. And only if you believe that I am the I am, will you be saved. Only if you believe that the Father who sent me is God, and so I am God also because I am his son, will you be saved. And so the law will be fulfilled, and so sin will be paid for you. You will be forgiven of your sin. The term to be perfect has a few meanings, but... It can also mean to be complete and whole, as God is complete and whole. When it says uh, to be perfect, it means to be complete in Christ. And yet, 
as human beings, and I think as people, sometimes we, we do have this desire to go, oh, there's that, that word, perf- be perfect. It's not possible, guys. And anyone who tells me otherwise, I will challenge them to their face and say, then tell me everything you haven't done. Tell me the thing when you haven't looked at someone else. Tell me the thing where you haven't envied someone else. Tell me all the, at least the ten laws you haven't broken. And I'm telling you, they will not be able to. I go, I pretty much have broken throughout my life so far every single law. Because I can't do it. I can't not be broken. I can't fix myself. I need Jesus to fix me. I need Jesus to save me. I need Jesus to trust him so that he can make it good. (laughs) I can't make those things good. I can't fix those things. John 14, 19 to 21 says, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. You see, even so, even when we fall to sin, even when temptation gets us, we can still have this completeness during those times when we ask for forgiveness, seek repentance, admit we're not perfect, admit we're broken. 1 John 1, 5 to 10 says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, And yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us at no point at no point do any of these verses call the person to be the one who has got to be perfect in fact what these verses tell us is that if we pretend to be the one who is perfect we are liars god is not in us we do not believe in the jesus of the bible we believe in the god of ourselves If we confess our sin, these verses tell us this. If you're honest with God about your sin, he is faithful to forgive. This is why we've got to lift this burden from people. This lie that tells people you must do these things perfectly and then when you don't, we can come down on you like a ton of bricks. Says the person who was sinning yesterday. It's incredible. It's incredible how we treat one another in church. Incredible. It's terrible. We're all unrighteous, all deserving of wrath, all deserving of God's fair judgment on us. And yet he says, through Jesus Christ, if you, pref- if you confess your sin, he will forgive you. 
So how does this work? It is true that, of course, we want to be holy. We want to be righteous. We want to do well as good servants of God. That is true. It is not as if we then go, well, therefore, I'm not going to, I can just do anything I like because God says he's going to forgive me of my sin, therefore I'll just keep sinning, as it says in Romans, right, as Paul says to him. They try and use that argument to trip him up and say, oh, therefore, should we not just go and sin as much as we like because God will forgive us? Won't that glorify him, actually? If I look really bad, he'll look really great. No, that's not how it works, Paul says. That's not how it works. You are not being Christ-like in that attitude. And we see in those verses, in these verses, right here, you have not understood who Jesus is. If that's what you think you can do with God's righteousness, God's salvation on your life. So how does it work? What's, what, are we, what are we called here to do as Christians? Well, every day we, we say that we're being made more Christ-like. And that's what this is. This, this thing of per, being perfect, as our Father is perfect, is being more Christ-like every day. It's not that there's a moment where a switch is turned and that's it, you're done. You will never sin again, you will always be perfect. Every day you will have something come against you and you will need Jesus to go, Lord, give me strength for your Holy Spirit to not fall to that temptation. One day at a time. Isn't that grace? One day at a time, growing in Jesus. So to understand that we're being made more Christ-like is biblical, but to believe that we're able to obey 100% of the time is a lie by the devil. When you feel guilty and you give your, your sin to Jesus, to God, and you say, Lord, forgive me, it's done. Forgiven. Genuinely don't want to do that. Genuinely don't want to fall to that sin. But, but when the devil's using it to say, yeah, but look how a mess you are. Look how terrible you are. He's not going to be impressed with you. It's the lie of the devil. I've said this before. But when I, when I hear that, when I get that sense that my flesh is saying, look at you, he's not really pressed for you. He doesn't even want you. So you know what? I don't want me. <laughs> There's times I don't want to be me. But you know what? Jesus wants me. And that's enough. I don't need to do anything more. I just need to submit to my Lord and Saviour. And he does the rest. It's all about him and not about me. And so what we do, we, we live to be more Christ-like and we glorify Christ in doing so, so others will see and show the power of a perfect God working in imperfection. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Not from us. The Christian calling is not a calling to perfection. It is a calling to remain uncomfortably with our imperfections so that God's glory can shine all the more powerfully. And I think this is definitely the right order to do this in the blessed and beautiful God. For God is able to be to fully delight in his perfection. He is able to be fully 
sufficient in who he is, fully delight in his characteristics. As we understand perfect to be complete, so we can understand that God is blessed. And what we read in the Bible is that God loves to rejoice in all his works and who he is. We saw this, seen this in Genesis. Genesis says he saw it was very good. He saw it was good. He saw it was good. He saw it was very good. This is a God that enjoys his perfection. Revels in his perfection. Revels in his blessedness, in his beauty. Things that he creates. He finds delight and happiness in what is pleasing to him. And what's pleasing to him is that we have, were saved through the blood of Jesus. And so when God blesses us, we gain and are strengthened. But it's a different way of what happens when we talk about blessed. Sometimes when we pray, we sometimes say, bless you, Lord. Don't we say, bless you, God. Bless you, Father. Bless you, Jesus. We're not giving anything to Jesus when we say that, by the way. Just in case someone doesn't understand what that means, if people who first time have been around Christians, what Christians should not be saying but are not saying is we're not blessing God. We're not, we're not able to give anything more than what he is. He is the total package. He doesn't need anything from us. But when we bless him, when we say, acknowledge that God be blessed or God is blessed, it's, it's a way of thanking him. Lord be blessed. Thank you, Lord. Gratitude, admiration for who he is. And if God is the one who blesses, then he is fully in a blessed state, sufficient in being blessed. There's no more blessed he could be. He is blessed. Psalm 100 uh, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. This exclamation of a blessed God uh, is truly a recognition of his beauty. David in the Psalms tells us that one day he longs to be with the Lord in his house. One of the reasons for this is in Psalm 27 verse 4. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This beauty, much like God's love, is one that far surpasses the worldly understanding of beauty. For those that seek God and put their faith in him will grow to see the qualities of God and that every quality is desirable. Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The beauty of God is not in how he looks. It's what he's done, who he is. And when we see the beauty and blessing we have through salvation, it's not because the images we create of what Jesus looked like. It's not the films and TV shows, the actors. The beauty and blessedness is found in, in that he did it as a gift to an undeserving people. The beauty is salvation. Beauty is what uh, he's done for us. That's why God is beautiful and blessed. So we come to the end of our Who is God series. I want to reiterate something I just touched on last week very briefly. Uh, God is unity. Um, every, every characteristic of God, just as a reminder here, is equal to, its, to each other. Uh, there, is no, there is no moment where God is 
uh, more loving or less loving. There's no uh, more um, wrathful or less wrathful. Uh, he is always the same. Every attribute always remains perfect, perfectly working together. And as people, we sometimes do give different values to different characteristics of a person we know or we meet. We might like this aspect of them, not so much other aspects. And so in that, we give these characteristic different values to others. But God's characteristics, all these attributes, are all equal. To know who God truly is, we must embrace and accept every attribute that makes him God. No matter how much it might rub up against our worldly ways, and, and it will. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. God is fully and completely every attribute all the time and every time. Truly embrace the fullness of God is to understand grace. And so be saved. John 1 verse 16. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace. Already given grace upon grace. Undeserving more than we deserve. And so we can go away from this series knowing that God is perfect in everything that he is. In every attribute, in every action and decision that he has made and will make and do and plan that he has made. Everything, no matter what happens in our lives, God is perfect, powerful, loving, fair, right and good. I'm going to pray and then we'll worship. Uh, I think there's some uh, goodies afterwards, by the way. Yeah, I won't tell you what they are. Anyway.